2 Timothy chapter number 2 again this evening, 2 Timothy chapter number 2, and some time back we started a Wednesday evening series uh, entitled A Charge to Keep, and uh, we're looking at uh, when Paul received the faith from Jesus, he passed that on to Timothy, and he committed that to him. He gave him that charge to keep the, the faith of the gospel. And uh, we can look at the faith in the same way. Uh, from there, it has been passed on and committed until we've received it. And therefore, we ought to look at it with the same dedication as uh, Paul expected Timothy to look at it when the faith was handed to him. Uh, it's amazing today. It's always been this way. Uh, but it's amazing as you look around how quickly... Uh, people will give up the faith, how pe quickly people will walk away from the faith. I believe one reason that takes place is we, we don't remind ourselves of how, how, how important it is. Uh, one thing that helps me is to look at it in that way I just described it. Uh, how, how, how important do you think Paul thought it was? He received it personally from Jesus Christ. We ought to look at it with the same fervor. We ought to look at it with the same responsibility because guess who our faith came from? Jesus Christ. He just, it was just passed from one person to another, but the origin is Christ. Our doctrine is Christ. Our faith comes from Christ. And so uh, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture again that we've read uh, several times. Uh, we're going to begin uh, looking in 2 Timothy chapter number 2, and uh, we'll begin uh, with verse number 15. Study to show thyself a proven to God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And the word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and notice this, and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity." But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. I'm going to draw your attention again to verse 18. Uh, and overthrow the faith of some. Uh, we've been looking at Paul's warning to Timothy. Uh, we've also titled this, uh, kind of the, the steps to having your faith overthrown. What is having your faith overthrown? What is it to overthrow the faith of some? Does that mean they lose their salvation? Absolutely not. Uh, our salvation, once we put our faith in Christ, uh, God is going to keep His Word. He, he, has, he has sealed us. Uh, we are, we cannot lose your salvation. Well, uh, what's the explanation then for some uh, who used to hold to the gospel, who used to hold to the faith, who now say, well, I don't even know if there is a God. Well, I don't even know if the Bible is true. 
They once believed that. What has happened? Uh, because we know the scripture tells us in verse 19, the foundation of God is sure. God's word hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. Their faith was overthrown. What does that mean? It means uh, they don't believe what they once did. And notice where it comes from in verse 18, who concern, concerning the truth have erred. You and I need to be on guard against sin. Sin will destroy us. Sin will waste our lives. But false doctrine will overthrow our faith. Avoid sin. We need to avoid false doctrine like we would avoid sin. I'm going to make a statement uh, before I pray. When I was a young man, and, and of course in, in Bible college, I used to hear Dr. Jack House say, you need to treat false doctrine, you need to treat those false books, you need to treat those false bookstores like you would a bar, a house of ill repute. And it never clicked with me. But now all these years, and been in the ministry, been preaching the gospel for decades, some who I led to Christ, some who I was there when they surrendered to preach, they preached their first sermon. Now these very ones say, I don't even know if there is a God. I understand it now. Because yes, sin will destroy you, but false doctrine will overthrow your faith. And there's, so we need to be on guard, and that's why Paul is warning Timothy. So I want you to take these Wednesday night Bible studies very seriously, as I, as I, as I know you do, because it's very important. And I'll also say this before I pray. I said last Wednesday night, and it's good for me to repeat it this evening. There's a progression that we've looked at. I'm going to review very quickly to get into, hopefully, the remainder. But I have no promises that we'll get through it all tonight. But there's a progression of several things, seven, seven things we see here in this passage of Scripture. As your pastor, I'm not going to wait till number six or seven to start saying, pay attention. It's number one. Well, is that, that really, is it really that big of a deal? Well, number one leads to number two. And there's a natural progression. So we need to be aware of that. And we'll look at that again as we look at uh, Paul's warning to Timothy or the warning concerning the overthrow of the faith. Father, help us tonight as we look again into your word. Uh, Father, may the Holy Spirit be our instructor tonight. May we learn some th ways to guard ourselves, but also tonight learn how we can help others as well. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll review very quickly. We know uh, in 2 Timothy chapter number 4, we spent some time there. Paul's words, I have kept the faith. In order to get to the end of your life as a Christian and be able to say, I have kept the faith, there are some things that we have to make sure are in our life so that we can keep the faith. Uh, we know the scripture. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 3 that uh, it is profitable. Uh, what is the word of God? We know it is the word of God. We know it is his word. It is profitable. Sometimes we may say, is it really worth me uh, leaving work, skipping supper, going to a Wednesday night Bible study? Well, if we're going to have a, a fellowship, no, it's probably not worth it. But if we're going to teach the word of God, the Bible says it is profitable. It will help you. It will edify you. Is it really worth me getting up on Sunday morning and going down and getting there early for Sunday school? Well, have you had a toasted bagel yet? Well, yeah, it's worth being here early. It's worth it. Why? Because the Word of God is taught. It's profitable. It's profitable. I'm not against children's programs, but our Sunday school program is not a children's program per se, more, as much as it is teaching the Bible in there. Why is that? Because it 
puppets aren't profitable. The Word of God is. Uh, it, it, now, I'm not, I'm not against things being on the level. Some of you would prefer the puppet show, I'm sure. It, it might get some things across. But, um, uh, but I, I think you understand what I'm saying. The Word of God is what is profitable. So when we begin to get away from the Bible, that's where the trouble comes in. One, that's where sin can find its way in. And quite frankly, as long as we're in this flesh, we don't have to look very hard to find it. It's looking for us, and sadly, this flesh looks for it. But another byproduct of not knowing the Word of God is falling prey to false doctrine. And we need the Word of God. And that is what Paul is warning Timothy, as I've already mentioned before I pray, that we need to be careful uh, because there are those that would overthrow our faith because they have erred concerning the truth. Now, notice again in your Bibles tonight, as we go through just a, just a few minutes of, of, of review, in uh, verse number 18, uh, verse 17, it names two individuals. And then in verse 18, it says, Who concerning the truth have erred? I pointed this out before, and I point it out again. Does the Bible talk about their sincerity? No, it just says they erred. Does the Bible say, well, they're, they're really good people? No, it just says they've erred. Does the Bible say, they're, well, they were nice guys? No, they erred. When it comes to the faith, all that matters, is it truth or is it error? And if it's error, we should stay away from them. If it's error, we should mark them. Is it truth or is it error? We, we need to stop. We do this with, with, when it comes to those that are living sinful lifestyles sometimes, and we want to justify uh, why we should tolerate certain things, but some would never tolerate, and, and, and rightfully so. But we need to stop tolerating false doctrine. We need to stop giving it a pass. That sin will destroy your life. Avoid it. Stay away from it. False doctrine, error concerning the truth, will overthrow your faith. Now, I don't want my testimony to be either one of them. But what a sad, sad thing for someone to stand and say, I don't even know if there's a Bible, who used to stand in a different place. Well, I don't even know if there is a God. What happened? Their faith was overthrown. Because we know the foundation of God standing sure, verse 19 tells us. So what are the warnings that we have so that our faith is not overthrown? We saw, number one, shun profane and vain babblings. Number two, depart from iniquity. Number three, purge from the dishonorable. Remember how much fun we had with that last week? Number four, flee youthful lust. So we pick up tonight. Verse 22, flee also youthful lust. Run as fast as you can. We touched on this very briefly at the end of, 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 of last Wednesday night. There are youthful lusts from whence we must flee. Now, the Bible does not give connotation that it's you only can fall prey to it as a youth. Now, you mostly fall prey to it as a youth because you don't have maturity, you don't have um, experience that you learn from, and that's why it's important. I'm, I, I, one of the things I've tried to live by is I'd rather learn from somebody else's mistakes than my own. So if there's somebody who's been further down the road that says, don't do that, this is what's going to happen, I don't want to have to prove they were right. I can listen. There are things that we're supposed to flee from. 
He didn't say necessarily just, you know, casually meander away from it. He said, flee from it. If you thought your life was in danger, what do you do? You flee. You run. That's why when you were three years old and you heard your your mother call your first name and your middle name, what did you do? You ran, not to her, away from her, because you knew what that meant. You flee. And why is it when it comes to these things? I mentioned this last week. Dr. Jack Howard used to make a statement. People don't leave truth for error. They leave truth for sin. Uh, they go to these places that justify their lifestyle. Why? Because of the youthful lust. Now, we, we transition from that to there's some things that we need to be aware of to avoid. And now in verse number 5, we see, I'm sorry, number 5, we see in verse number 22, flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. He says, follow, and there's some things that you should follow. Now, notice this. Brother Stanley, stand up here if you would. Brother Farber, stand up here if you would. We'll let, you're on the left, you'll be youthful lust. <laughs> you, for illustration's sake, um, if this way is youthful lust, this way is right, the thing I'm supposed to follow, righteousness, uh, that list we see there, faith, charity, peace, with them that call in the name of the Lord with a pure heart. Okay? If I, is youthful lust and righteousness, faith, all those things, are they going the same direction? No. Are they hanging out together? No. The places are different. This will help you too with these so-called churches. The holy and profane does not exist together. So they cannot be in the same place. It's true of doctrine. Well, it's a Christian such and such. No, 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 there's no such thing. They don't coexist together. So he says, Timothy, flee youthful lust, but follow. And the more you follow, the further away you're going to get. Thank you, gentlemen. You can sit down. This is where some get in trouble. Well, they know that they probably shouldn't do these things, stay away from these things, but they're not pursuing that which is right. You're not going to stay in the middle forever. That's why the best advice I can give you is, is the same advice the Apostle Paul got. He says, flee it, but follow. Just like I don't have to worry about my personal separation or holiness as long as I'm pursuing Christ. Because if I get closer to Him, I'm going to naturally get further away from the world. That's why as your pastor, it's not rocket science. All I have to do is I can tell your personal relationship with Christ based on which one are you closer to, which one do you resemble more, Christ or the world. It's a natural thing for a new Christian to look more like the world because they just got saved. But they grow and they grow and they grow and they grow and they get closer and closer to Christ. And before they know it, that world is so far in their, back in their rearview mirror. The same is true here. If I decide I'm going to follow the right things, I won't be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Well, Pastor, they're just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Well, flee those things. Follow the right things. Now, let me clarify, and let's go over these things in this list, because if 
God had them listed and preserved for us. I think it's important that we look at each one of them. The best way to flee what is wrong is to follow what is right. It's a dangerous thing, and I'm preaching a message on this. It may be Sunday night. I've been, I've, been, I've been praying on this and thinking on this. It's a dangerous thing to have an opportunity to grow and decide to stay where you are. It's a dangerous thing for God to bring you an opportunity to take that next step in your Christian life and stay where you are. It's a dangerous thing. It's, it's our response. It's in this, what Paul is saying is action. Follow. Pursue it. That is, that's what we're supposed to do. So the best way to flee what is wrong is to follow what is right. God never gives us an instruction that we cannot keep. So Paul tells Timothy, flee these things, follow these things. So if I'm going to follow these things, I'm going to naturally be away from these things. That's why we ought to approach the Word of God. If what God tells us to do, we do it. You know what will happen? We'll be in the right place. We'll stay away from the wrong things. Notice what the Bible says. He said he should follow righteousness. Everything that he does should be placed in the light of God's word to see if it is righteous, it would be pleasing to God. He is to follow that. Only that which is done by faith pleases God. Only that faith placed in God's commands and promises the kind of faith that God desires from us. We ought to, we ought to, to run our words, our actions, our thoughts, everything we do uh, through, through, the, through the prism of, is it righteous, does it please God? Well, the people I'm around, it's okay. That, that's the wrong standard. It's righteousness. Do you know what the faith that Jesus personally gave to Paul and Paul gave to Timothy and that's been handed down to us? you know what? If we hold to that faith, you know where it's going to lead us? It's going to lead us to righteousness. It's not going to lead us to unrighteousness. I know that this is, I've been free from all those things that I was taught. Yeah, I can see how free you are. It's in your life. And as you see the life crumble... Why is that? It's because they're not fleeing righteousness. I mean, they're not pursuing righteousness. He says, follow charity. It's very simple. I won't spend much time here. Love the brethren, your neighbor, and your enemy. Follow, which honors God, with our love and our charity. Um, that would well, be our spirit. Is That will be one of love. Uh, when you love like God loves... That's not a sign of weakness. That's a sign of spiritual maturity. Because it's not a superficial love. It's not a sight love. It's not a love that always gets a benefit. I love him no matter what he allows to come into my life. That's what we ought to be able, that's what we ought to, be able to say. But we ought to love the brethren. I hope we're not more patient with a lost world than we are our brothers and sisters in Christ. I hope we're not, because that does not please God. should not be that way. Love your neighbor. We usually do okay with those first two, but then we're, the Bible tells us very clearly we're supposed to love our enemies. Uh, follow charity. Then, then the Bible says, and this is, this is a point I want, I want to spend just a second at. You notice in your Bible there, follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace. It's easy for us to talk about peace, but there is a context for peace that a believer must understand. Well, Pastor, we're, why can't we just get along with everybody? Or why, you know, they, you know that, those old-time Baptists, they just, can't, they just can't go along. I believe we, I forget, it all runs together. You know, there's been president, presidents, presidential candidates, 
look on Christians disparagingly and, you know, why can't we all get, why can't, that's not what the Bible says. It says follow peace, but you've got to look at that in context. We are not to follow after peace with everyone. This is so important because I see so many churches, so many Christians, so many preachers compromising their day under a false premise, and they don't realize it, but they've gone down a path. The day is coming, the doors of their church will close. The day is coming, they'll be out of the ministry. The day is coming, it'll be a ghost town. Because you're not supposed to seek peace with everybody. I have no problem saying, I will never seek peace with the abortion crowd. I'm not seeking peace with the cancel culture. I'm not seeking peace with uh, those that want to destroy the, the, the injustice of the day and want to destroy other people. I'm not seeking peace with the independent Baptist Pharisees who want to look down and decide who ought to serve in what capacity and another capacity. I'm not looking to get along with them. I say, Pastor, you're, you should try and get along with everybody. If God allows them to be at peace with me, that's great. But I'm not changing the direction I'm going so that I can be at peace with them. If the Lord allows an unrighteous man to be at peace with us, that's an opportunity for us to be a testimony. God has always done this through time. He's, he's done it with our church. God puts the right person in, in, in our path at the right time to help good church get something accomplished. However, we are not to follow after peace with unrighteousness. Well, this would help us. Are we at peace with God or more concerned about being at peace with God or more concerned about being at peace with our family? Now, if you can be at peace with your family, that's a wonderful thing. But if you've got to choose between being at peace with God and peace with your family, I think we know the answer. And too many Christians go away, well, I just want to make peace. And, and they said that, they, that we could get along better if I went to a different church. You're not making peace, you're compromising. You're not making peace, you're giving up the faith. I'm not supposed to pr pursue peace with that. Well, so what, are we supposed to be at peace with this world? The Bible tells us, now we shouldn't go out of our way to be a jerk. There's a lot of people who do that. We don't always have to express what we're thinking. Uh, we don't have to always do that. We shouldn't be looking to be belligerent. But if I am going to follow the faith, and, I, and, I've, and I've talked about this recently with, with this social gospel, and, and people just don't seem to grasp this, what it is before long, uh, it'll be if they let us in their church, and if you, if you declare Jesus is the only way, and, and the Muslim way is not the way, it'll be you're a, you just don't like Muslims, you're a racist. And it has nothing to do with that. But they want you to be at peace with them. This is the guy we've created. It is a doctrinal thing. I want to be at peace with the brethren. We as a church are supposed to be at peace. That's the, that's the peace we should be seeking. And if God gives us peace outside of that, which he often does, uh, then um, that's just a bonus. Our churches should be full of peace among the brethren who are seeking to serve the Lord. We're too quick to make peace, and this is good for us to be reminded of in the culture we live in today. We're too quick to make peace with those who are bringing a reproach upon the name of Christ. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm here to do what God's called me to do. I'm not here to make peace with those who are blaspheming Jesus. 
I'm not going to the faith community fellowships in Jacksonville. Because I believe Jesus is the only way to heaven. Oh, it would be great if you get along. I'm not, I don't go out of my way. I preach the gospel every single week. I'm going to continue to do that. And if, if, we can, if, if we can be cordial, great. But I'm not changing. I'm not looking to make peace. The gospel does not bring peace to those that are against the gospel. Does this make sense tonight? We're too quick to make peace with those who are bringing a reproach upon the name of Christ. That leads to compromise that displeases God. Can I, can I make a point that might sound a little self-serving? Why, why, why sometimes the Christians and church members are, are, are quicker to make somebody who's never done anything for them spiritually make peace with them over their pastor? I've got this, I've got this following on Instagram that I've got to, I've got to appeal to. I've got this following on in, in Facebook I've got to appeal to. That's one example. Um, we're too quick to make peace with those who are bringing reproach upon the name of Christ. Mom and Dad, can I help you? If your kids are at home and they're grown, um, don't compromise your faith to make peace. Don't. Well, I go, we're at the family reunions and, and I'm the only one that rears our children this way. And Well, you keep rearing them that way and they'll stop telling you when the family reunion is. Um, they don't control my blessings. I'm, I'm spending some time here because I see this as a trend, not necessarily among us, but I want to say as a warning to what's going on in this world, and we, we take Scripture out of context, and we're supposed to, to, to live, and the Bible does say live peacefully with all men, but sometimes they won't let you live peacefully. It's easy for them to say coexist when everybody but one, everybody's trying to kill the same one. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not feasible. So who do we pursue peace with? We, we first seek peace with God and then seek peace with the brethren. It does not mean we're unkind. Whether we're doing our best to be at peace with the righteous and gracious to the unrighteous. I believe you've got to be as kind as you possibly can to everybody. You've got to be kind. Uh, I believe that's all, that ought to be a characteristic of a child of God is to be kind. You, you, you want to ever do a study that, that's very convicting, study some of the last words of some of the martyrs of the faith and how they were seasoned with grace and kindness as they left this earth and entered into the presence of Christ. That'd be kind. But we ought to seek to be at peace with God more than at peace with this world. And the worse our culture gets, the further it gets away from God, the more this is going to be a necessary thing. We ought to try to be at peace with the righteous and gracious to the unrighteous. Be careful not to compromise for the sake of getting along. Um, America, if it's got the right leadership, is not going to get along with the world. Because you've got communist nations. Does this not make sense? Sure it does. So in order, the only way Americans can get along with the world is if we tolerate the atrocities committed by communist regimes. If we acquiesce to them. 
You see how the media and, and the uninformed and the, the, the ignorant and the wicked, they spin that? Well, this president has just isolated us from the rest of the world. Well, these communist countries are going to quit killing their people. Uh, you can't, you can't, there's some things you can't put together. The same is true of a child of God. The time is going to come when a child of God, whether it's a church, whether it's a family, whether it's an individual, you're going to be in a situation when you're going to have to be isolated, for lack of a better way of saying it, because you can't be at peace with that which is error. You can't, you can't do it. It's not possible. So if we're going to follow peace, we must pursue peace in the right manner. Number six, look at us. We are moving along. I don't know if we're going to get through them all, but we're going to try. Avoid unlearned questions, but foolish and unlearned questions, verse 23, avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. Uh, I'll start moving pretty quickly. I'm just going to summarize this one. The best way to explain this is just stop asking stupid questions. It's become very popular in our day of technology for preachers to get a, get a platform of some kind online. This is why, this is why I, I make the jabs about social media a lot. It's the world we live in. It's not necessarily you and I that I've always have, have in mind, but it's, it's lurking out there. And what they do is they ask questions that should not, we should not even take the time to answer because they're stupid questions. The Bible word, way of saying it is unlearned questions. I'm going to break it down to make it on our level where we can understand it. Stupid questions. What do these unlearned questions do? They lead to controversy and arguments. You know, I learned a long time ago, and it's, 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 it's helped me. I don't have to give my opinion on everything. doesn't mean I don't have an opinion. There's some things I choose not to formulate opinion on purpose. It's not my, it's not my area. It's not my concern. My opinion is not going to make a difference. It's taking time and energy. The devil is a master of distraction. While we want to argue with some armchair theologian over here, there's somebody who would gladly hear the gospel of Jesus Christ over here. And as long as we're distracted, that's not happening. Uh, so we need to be careful with that. Some preachers love to solicit a controversy by asking a question and tend to bring contention. Um, we, we ought to avoid those things. There are, we all probably know somebody that either we work with or lives close to us or a family member. They know enough Bible to ask you questions to try and spin the truth or get a doubt in your mind. Say, Pastor, what do you do with that? I don't, I don't engage them. That's nice. Say, Pastor, you, you, you could, I, there's times I sit there and I'm like, oh, that's not, but I'm sitting there thinking, I, I don't want to, this is an hour of my life I'm never going to get back. And it's not going to change them. So I'm to avoid that. And I, quite frankly, I'm very kind. But I avoid it because it's an unlearned question. I don't want to, if somebody's sincere, is a new Christian, something that's totally different. But God's established some things, and I've got the Holy Spirit to explain it to me. Um, so I'm going to avoid those things. Number seven, don't strive. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender strifes. 
it's not wrong to disagree with others. It's not wrong to point out their errors and speak words of correction. Uh, the word strive means to push too hard. We're told to strive for the mastery. We're to, we're to put everything we have to, to, to get that crown, to become, a, 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 become like Christ. We're to strive for that. But we should not strive with our brothers. Gentleness, says in the servant of the Lord, must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. Gentleness is a quality possessed by our Lord. Sometime, next time you read through the Gospels, and I would recommend you do that every, every, every so often, read through the Gospels, listen to the rebukes of our Lord. It's some strong stuff in there, but it's always gentle. What he said was powerful, the Word of God. Who's saying it had an effect because they have the authority. But he possessed gentleness. It's a quality possessed by our Lord. As he was teaching his apostles, he was gentle even in his correction of them. He let them learn and grow at a reasonable pace. When we push people too hard, we often push them away. Now, we point out, we preach truth. We point out error. And this is, this, is, this is going to help you understand the mind of your pastor a little bit. I don't know if it's possible beyond a little bit, but just a little bit. As the pastor, I'm more aware of where everybody's at in their growth than you are. And there's some, and, and, and my responsibility is to say, this is right, this is wrong, the Bible says this, avoid these things, follow these things. But everybody, there ought, there ought to also be some gentleness there. To give people a room to go. And I can say this because you all know it's true and you're all on the same page with me. There is no church Gestapo around here to decide where everybody ought to be in their Christian life. Because somebody already fills that position. His name is the Holy Spirit. And everybody ought to have an opportunity to grow so there should be gentleness. Why is it that a preacher could get up and... and I, 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 I don't hold back when I preach. I've had several of you even comment the last couple of months. It's like, Pastor, are you getting any rest? Pastor, how much coffee have you drinking? The messages have been just a little bit more pointed than they have been. Well, it's, it's, it's a lot of coffee I've been drinking, but this um, is lit in. But there ought to be, and as hard as I preach in the pulpit, if I re interact with you, I think you could testify there's gentleness there. We can stand for right, but we should not strive with that harshness. We should, we should be gentle, apt to teach, patient. Let me illustrate very quickly, and I may go a few minutes over. I'm going to get you two men to help me, if you would. But Stanley, I want you to stand right here and face that way. But Barbara, I want you to stand right here and face the other way. Like you're going in two different directions. Okay, these men are at the same place in their Christian life. You see that? But one has started out over here, new Christian saved. Man, he's getting it, and he's going in that direction. One, he's been there, been over here, knows what the faith is, knows what separation is, knows what standards are, 
knows what soul winning is, knows what serving in ministry is. They've been taught it all. They've heard it all, been in church their whole life. But they begin to go this way. Now, this is going to be deep. You're only going to end up in the direction you're heading. Now, if you look at them right now, they're in the same place in their spiritual life. But what's happened? One's going towards the truth. One's going away. There's more. There's more we have preachers that come to our conference, and they're, they're coming this way. Their, their, their standards probably wouldn't be like mine, but they're coming this way. Now, there's some who, they're, the op- they, they're more like us, but which way are they going? They're going that way. So there's got to be some wisdom in saying, sometimes I say, Pastor, why don't we just drop the, nobody says this to me necessarily, why don't we just, there's got to be some gentleness, because there's a principle of direction here. Same thing is true with church members, with Christians. There are Christians and church members who used to be involved, and it's not your, the fact that your health has changed. It's not your job's changed. It's not your situation's changed. You've just gotten lazy in your Christian life. Or, or maybe, 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 maybe there's some things in your life that shouldn't be there. So you start heading this way, and parents, this will help you. And then the pastor, in his orneriness, he approaches you. The preaching becomes pointed. Well, pastor, they're doing this and this and this. And pastor, I'm still doing this and this and this. But I know where you were. And I can see where you're heading. Whereas then you have a new Christian who's never had any of this. And they're growing and growing and growing. There's got to be a little bit more patience with this individual than that one. Thank you, gentlemen. But we should not strive we got to have a gentleness about us. Give people time to grow as Christ did his disciples. I, I've, I've, I've failed in this. You read the Bible and you think those disciples were finished men. Why else would Christ choose them? They weren't finished men. Truth of the matter is, if you study the life of the disciples through the ministry of Christ... There are many today who sit on their spiritual high horse who would have looked down on them and who would have said, they can't ever be used. Why does Christ even put up with them? He can't be the Messiah because he wouldn't even tolerate. The Messiah surely wouldn't tolerate them. They weren't finished men. But they were his disciples, and he was gentle with them. Now, I... We should all strive. I, I strive to stand where God stands, but I also want to be gentle. Now, there's time. You break into my house and want to hurt my family, I'm going to do my best not to be gentle. The devil wants to try and get in this church. I'm going to fight him with everything that I have. No matter what that devil's name is, I'm going to fight him whatever I have. But when you're dealing with individuals, you shouldn't strive. Pastor, what are we going to do? And the, and the cause of crisis, I, mean, I am going to park here because the Internet is just so prevalent. There are Christians who get on the Internet and they hurt the cause of Christ because they're striving. They're striving. Striving. When Paul said to Timothy, don't strive. 
And then I'll mention number eight. It's still, sun, it's still daylight out there, so we got time. Look with me. I hope this is making sense to everyone. Look, look with me in, uh, as he says, be gentle unto all men, apt to teach. Um, we, and I'll, I'll get to number eight in just a moment. Um, it's, it's, it's lazy to just point out how somebody's doing wrong and not try and teach them how to do it right. It's, it's, it's the modern-day Pharisee that wants to preach at everybody and not help at, to teach. You can point out what's wrong, but you've got to teach what's right. And that's what he is reminding him to do because not everybody's going to get it right the first time. Now, getting to number 8. Instruct those that oppose themselves. Verse 25, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Paul warned Timothy to instruct or tell the truth and explain how to do what you need to do to those who oppose themselves. What, does he, what did he mean by that? A person who opposes himself is someone who sets up barriers between themselves and what is right. For, for, for example, there's some who say, Pastor, I want to get my life in track on track. I want to get my life straightened out. Will you help me? Sure, I'll help you. And I'll give instruction. And I'll say, this is what you need to do. And this is how you're going to need to do it. And, and you're going to need to cut this out of your life and cut this out of your life. When they oppose themselves, they don't put the things that they need to put in place so that they can do it. If you're going to come out from among them, if you're going to get rid of those bad influences... And most of the time, that's where you have to start. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to get rid of the bad influences. You, you don't accept an invitation to go to the next party. That's opposing yourself. If there's some things you need to do in your life to, to get what you need, you don't put a barrier in between yourself and what you need to do. There are those who are their own worst enemy. Some people just can't get over themselves. They keep falling in their own traps and stumbling over their own feet spiritually. Like if you, I, I believe it. There's, and they're there and they're sincere and I want to do this. Okay, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. And then next thing you know, they're with this person or they've uh, taken this in their life. And it's, a, it's an obstacle between them and that which is right. Uh, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to, the Bible says, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. You, you, don't, you try not to, you don't get frustrated. Now, we've switched, if you've noticed, I've been in probably too big of a hurry because I'm trying to get this all in. And to stay away, stay away, this is what you do. Now, this is how you can help some people. Because there's going to be some who's going to hear things that aren't true. There's some things that are going to get themselves in trouble. What do you do? You instruct them in meekness even when they oppose themselves. We're, we're supposed to instruct them. Just keep teaching them what is right. Okay, we're going to go over it again. Okay, we had this conversation already, and, and through the years I've had the same conversations with the same people, and this is perfectly describing this. They continue to set barriers in between them and what they say they want, and I believe they want, but they oppose themselves. What do you do? You keep teaching them. It's like when you give instruction to your child as they grow up. So you don't, don't do that, or do you need to do this? And you sit there and watch them, and it's like, yeah, I know how this is going to end. 
the same is true when it comes to spiritual matters. He says to just keep teaching them what is right. You don't throw them away or give up on them. But you just keep instructing them. Now, you don't throw them away or give up on them, but you don't change what you're doing either. Well, I was just telling the truth and telling the truth. Uh, well, we need to, we need to, we need to change, change it up and do something different. They don't seem to be getting it this way. No, there's nothing wrong with the truth. You keep giving it to them and you give it to them. And a lot of mistakes are made in the life of Christians, life of churches, quite frankly, in ministries, because there are those that oppose themselves. They keep setting these barriers, these traps for themselves. And they get frustrated. You're trying to help them and you get frustrated. What are you supposed to do? Continue to teach them. You don't change. You don't compromise. Well, that's not working. We need to go to this. No, 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 no. The Bible is good enough. The Bible is what makes the difference. So we continue to instruct themselves. Notice what the Bible says. I'm hurrying. I, 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 want, I want to squeeze this in. This is number eight. I'm almost done. Just three more pages of notes and we'll get through this. In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil... First, they may repent and acknowledge the truth of your instructions. Truth of the matter is, when they set snares for themselves, they know it. They know it. They know they've got to change their habits. They know they've got to change their associations. They know they've got to change their way. They know that. They know they've got to clean out that bookshelf. They know they've got to purge those things that we talked about last week. They know it. Eventually, if you continue giving the instruction... Now, remember how we started this lesson many, many weeks ago with the Scripture... It is profitable for correction, for doctrine, for reproof, for righteousness. You continue to give, you continue to give, you continue to give, and they may repent and acknowledge the truth of your instructions. Then they may recover themselves from the snare into which they have fallen. People who oppose themselves are easy targets for Satan. The only hope is the continual instruction convicts them and leads them to repentance and acknowledging of the truth. From there, they can recover from the snares into which Satan has captured them. Paul set this as a desire, as an instruction for Timothy. Now, we come to the conclusion of this lesson, this study. The faith being overthrown. And you see a lot of it today. It's, it's always been that way. But with the technology we have, people flaunt their apostasy today. They, 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 uh, they flaunt their falling away. They, they're, they're, they're aggressive with it in most cases. What's happened? See, I hope this lesson that we've covered the last few weeks gives you an understanding of how that's happened because I've sat many times across the counseling table and said, Pastor, are they really saved? That's what a parent says to me. That's what a loved one says to me. And if they trust Christ their Savior, they're saved. I remind them, you remember when they trusted Christ their Savior? You remember when they presented? You remember when they were baptized? You remember when you remember all those things? But they're saying things now that, okay, their faith has been overthrown. It does not mean they're not saved. Now, it's possible somebody could have been pretending. It's not possible somebody. I'm not saying it's, it's not possible. But I'm talking about somebody who gives, gave a testimony, gave a life, and now they're saying, I don't even believe what happens. Their faith gets overthrown. Uh, there, there, there's, and it's a popular thing today in the religious movement that we have, and I don't want us to not fall prey to it. 
Uh, I want us to be able to say like Paul did, I have kept the faith. Uh, There's a progression there that we can follow, and I trust that this helps us. Father, help us.